Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Secrets of Marketers podcast, the only podcast you can rely on to give you real, raw, unfiltered marketing advice covering the latest tips, tricks, and tools that millionaire marketers use to make money online. I am your host, Jeremy Blossom. Sit back, relax, and let's start discovering the true secrets of marketers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Secrets of Marketers podcast. This is your host, Jeremy Blossom, and I am with Jeff Atkinson. How are you, Jeff? I'm great, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing? You know what? I'm doing well, all things considered. What a crazy time we're all living in, huh? Yeah, I know, right? Bizarro world. Yeah. So you are the CEO and founder of Huckabye.com. And to our audience, this is a real treat because we specialize in all things marketing here at Secrets of Marketers, but a lot of my guests have come on from the paid acquisition side. Jeff, you're coming at it from an SEO perspective, but would you mind just kind of giving us like a a warm introduction on who you are, where you came from? You've got a really fascinating story. Absolutely. So I was a ski racer growing up um, from the East Coast. I'm from the Boston area. Um, got into uh, college as a skier. I was also on the U.S. ski team for a year. And then after college, um, I wanted to get a job somewhere like in a mountain town and sort of still be a ski bum. But I came across a great opportunity at Overstock. Um, at the time, it was 2005. It was uh, relatively early days of Overstock. And, you know, we saw sort of phenomenal growth there. I ended up becoming their SVP of marketing. The founder and CEO, Patrick Byrne, was my mentor. Um, his godfather was Warren Buffett. His dad was the CEO of Geico. So it's just like this kind of incredible career starting opportunity yeah. um, to have, you know, be a 25 year old kid controlling 1.2 billion in revenue. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, very heavy in SEO. That was a great channel for us. We went from zero to like 300 million in about four years, which was pretty cool. And now I have uh, my own company called Huckabye that. Uh, sort of checks a lot of boxes when it comes to SEO, specifically technical SEO. And we help our customers like Salesforce, SAP, all these uh, companies uh, drive their organic search growth. So great to be here. Yeah, you'll get a definitely a, a different take on um, on marketing from me, I'm sure. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. What an impressive resume. And you're so humble about it. I love I love your story. Like most marketers, I don't think uh, at least some of the really successful ones, a lot of us didn't start off with like, that's my mission in life. <laughs> I'm going to go and become, you know, the senior vice president of marketing for this huge company. You are a skier and you kind of transitioned into this. Uh, so that I think actually adds to probably why you were so good at what you did is that you come at it from a different perspective. Um, I'd like to start off just by getting into like, uh, why are you, I mean, you could have left uh, overstock and you, and literally done anything. I mean, you could have moved into uh, the VP role of any other company you probably wanted to do. You could do anything, but you specifically like I've chosen to start your own company around SEO. What's, what's the big reason for you going all in on SEO? So it was kind of accidental, but I'm glad that I'm here now. So the way that I started this thing was actually with a B2C company because um, that was my background, right? So it was like a online shopping 
product price comparisons and, and coupon type site. And at the time, Google had sort of changed their algorithms to not really like these affiliate site models. And so we were really kind of swimming upstream. And But we had built some really cool SEO software that people that knew the company and knew me wanted to start licensing. So about three years ago, we pivoted into the SaaS business without me even knowing how great SaaS is um, and the recurring revenue model and the valuations and all this jazz. So yeah. we actually kind of really accidentally built a great business. The problem that we're solving, and this is coming from my experience at Overstock, is just how technical SEO is. And yet the industry is almost entirely driven by services. So tons of agencies, tons of consultants that can't really fix the fundamental problem. And so it's like a $95 billion industry with an NPS score of zero. So you'd rather go to your dentist than talk to your SEO agency. <laughs> and the problem is that, yeah, they, they literally don't have the technical chops or even sometimes the technical access to make the fundamental changes to a website that allow Google to understand it, them to be able to give it, you know, the rankings and traffic that it deserves. So I just saw it as an outdated industry that was really ripe for disruption. And so let's get after this thing from a technical and software perspective. And so that's really what Huckabye does. We're like the exact opposite of really any other SEO experience you've probably you know gone down um, in that we're software. And it, you literally get the software live and our average customer grows like 62% in 12 months. So it's pretty wild. It works. We kind of feel like we've struck gold and now we're trying to, you know, reach the masses and, and get our name out there because I think what we've found is pretty special. Yeah, absolutely. You guys um, are doing something that I'd say 95, 99% of the people are not doing. As I, as I mentioned to you in our, our pre-show interview, one of our guests on the show is Neil Patel. And, um, and you know, him and I talked before after he's come to one of our events and you know i i tell him that i say you know that you, <laughs> that most of the people who are in this seo space seo marketers um have, have it's gone so far honestly if I'm, I'm being really frank uh it's almost a pet peeve of mine that's gone so far that that the seo it's given seo and marketing somewhat of a bad name because they're going out there over promising these results and saying a bunch of things that they really can't deliver on um, because you're right, there's this fundamental issue. And so, you know, Neil also agrees. He's like, yeah, I mean, he's like, there's a lot of people that, that have a couple of the pieces figured out, but, and they oversell those couple of pieces to SEO and, um, and that they're missing out on the bigger thing. So let's talk about like some of the myths, you know, surrounding SEO and why the technical part is so important. So what do you think, you know, is somebody who comes to you, some of the, and, and the interesting thing is, is that these myths, they go from small businesses all the way up to big businesses like, you know, Salesforce, right? What are some of the things that you're having to reset uh, expectation wise or retrain someone when you're going through what Huckabye can do for somebody versus like what they're currently thinking SEO is all about? So yeah, Neil's great. He's a friend as well and super smart guy. And you're right. There is a ton of snake oil salesmen out there that are giving the industry a really bad name. And it gets back to that NPS score of zero, right? I mean, how do you even, it's like a really hard thing to get to a zero. Um, so I'd say that sort of the miscommunication is all about, well, what can an agency actually charge you for? And that's their driving light, right? In a capitalist economy, 
they're going to figure out what they can charge you for. And what they can charge you for is typically stuff that Google doesn't really care all that much about. Um, they're going to charge you for, you know, optimization of metadata and metadata, you know, isn't all that important anymore. It's all about structured data. Um, they're going to write a lot of content, but they can't write content the way an internal team can because no one knows about these complex businesses as a third party. I mean, writing is really hard. And so if you just have a random agency churning out writing for you, it's usually not a high paid employee and they're just going to write garbage and, and Google can sniff that out. And, and then the rest of it is really just snake oil. So they'll say that they're doing stuff like a technical SEO audit or they're going to, you know, implement structured data or they're going to improve page speed stuff that does really matter, but they end up just not doing it. And yeah, so right. I wonder how many of the billable hours out there are actually being done. Because if I look at some of these agency bills, I'm just like, what, they're not doing this. Um, and so I think that's part of it too, right? You get a line item on your agency bill each month for like $5,000. And you're like, well, what are they actually doing for me for that 5,000? It's really hard to actually figure it out. So when you do, the reason that the technical side is so important. So if you think about websites are always built for human beings, right? We spend so much time on UI, UX, but what's the UI UX for Google? Like when they come, what's their experience? And normally it's really, really bad. And in my opinion, it's actually more important than the user experience in a lot of ways because it dictates how many humans end up coming. And so there's certain things that they really care about. So they care about page speed. They want really fast page speed. They care about structured data, which is like their preferred language that allows them to talk authoritatively with a website. Um, they care about good content that's written well. Um, they don't like JavaScript, for example, because they can't crawl it as well as they can HTML. So there's, there's a bunch of stuff that they want. And essentially what Huckabye is doing is just listening to Google, listening to what they want out of a website, where they're going, and building software that basically gives them the perfect UI UX when they come crawl a site. So when you do that, the results are just incredible. Um, and no agency could do that. They couldn't actually make a huge impact to PageSpeed. They couldn't create a dynamically rendered version of a website, which is something that we can probably talk about later. They're just not able to do that. And so, yeah, you end up with this really bad situation where they're basically selling a fake list of goods and um, they don't really deliver on it either. So that's, yeah, it's a problem. <laughs> I, I, it's kind of a hard problem for Huggabye, honestly, because so many people have been burned. But when they hear about us and they hear what we do and we actually... We're so big on like accountability and credibility and transparency, which none of these firms do. We have to hit those things way harder because it's they've just been you know burned in the past. Yeah, the paradigm shift for me when you were explaining Huckabye to me uh, was basically what you just kind of walked through. How many times? And this is for this is for everyone listening right now. So for your specific business, if you're the you know marketing director, the CMO, or if you're the business owner. And you're, you're looking at your website and you're asking yourself this question. Have I made this website for my end customer exclusively with very little thought about what Google says uh, or they think about my code, about you know, how is Google interpreting what I'm trying to say? Or have I actually built this for both? Where in a way that Google using flat HTML, structured data, like 
is this in is this being written in such a way where Google can you know easily go through exactly what it is that we're doing? Um, they actually even like it to a certain point. It goes that far, and my customers can get it too. My customers can understand what we do a clear and concise way. I'd argue that if you really were truthful with yourself, 90% of everybody listening right now would say, no, I, I probably really haven't given Google um, as much thought as I probably should have. I certainly didn't think about it when I was actually building out which code I was going to use for my site. Um, you know, So those are things that I think that are super important. And I think the biggest myth of it all is that, look, we could go in all you want and, and write a really long 5,000 word blog post <laughs> and try to do like as many things as you want, but you just, you're not going to beat, you know, um, how Google reads your site and how they inter, um, in, uh, interact with your site. That's just, it's just, that's the competitive advantage I think Huckabye provides, right? Yeah. And a lot of times they don't even realize it too. I mean, I'll take Salesforce as a great example. Love them as a customer. They're great. And we fixed a lot of stuff for them, but um, even these really big companies, like they don't realize how much of their site Google just can't even get to and can't crawl because hmm. it's really slow. It's got a ton of JavaScript. So when I think about like UI UX and we always are adding the new fancy thing to our site, tracking pixels and JavaScript tags and chat boxes, you very rarely does the consideration like, how is this going to influence Google come up? And like a chat box is a perfect example. Chat boxes, Google hates chat boxes because they don't provide them any value. Google doesn't chat with a company. Yeah. They are always JavaScript based. They always cause page speed issues. And if you actually like truly A-B tested a chat box on a website, it most likely is always going to lose because it's going to hurt your SEO pretty significantly. Hmm. So I'm not encouraging people to rip down their chat boxes right now, but at least have the consideration of like, well, what's this going to do for Google's experience? What is this tracking tag going to do? What's this third party that's based, you know, wherever? Because um, if you think about it, every time a site loads and you have all those things that have to fire, you know, you're not just loading the site. You're going out to Boston to get the live chat box. You might be going to Europe for a review thing. I mean, just to think about what these pages need to compile makes it really hard for Google to actually figure out what's going on. So we'll see efforts with tons and tons of content and, and Google literally won't even be able to find it. And so it's just about clearing up, you know, those roadblocks, letting them through and letting them to just be able to just download everything that they need and they'll reward you for that. You know, that's essentially what we're trying to do. It's just, you know, there's so many other efforts that are happening that are actually good for the user, but Google's not, getting the benefit of that, let's make sure that they, you know, get what they need and, and be able to, and be able to, you know, reward you for that. When someone says, okay, that sounds great, Jeff, but you know, I've, I've got budget going to paid traffic right now. My paid traffic scaling, it's working for me. I get, you know, okay rankings on some of the SEO terms that, that I care about, you know, what could we really tell these people why they need to care more about SEO. What were some of the things that you saw at uh, Overstock that really was like, okay, this has got to be a channel that's heavily focused on and can change your business. What are some of the things that you could tell people that, that really should be focusing more on SEO, but they're not? So, I mean, it'd be really scary right now if you were dependent on paid channels because they're most likely getting cut um, significantly. So if, say 75% of your traffic's based on paid media channels, 
and you got to cut that 50%. That traffic doesn't keep coming. It's just gone. Um, SEO stands the test of time. But yeah, let me give you my take at Overstock. So there's no channel better for driving new customer acquisition than SEO. There just isn't. And so the engine that we built there was new customer acquisition through SEO, um, right categories, let the SEO and keyword research actually dictate the categories. That's how Overstock turned into this furniture and home and garden company. Um, great new customer acquisition, very low cost. You know, we had that engine just cranking. Then invest heavily in CRM, uh, email marketing, conversion rate optimization, all the sort of technical investments make such a, a higher ROI than any kind of paid. Plus, if the paid goes away, all that traffic keeps coming through. You don't yeah. lose it. It's just there forever. An investment in SEO is not an investment for this month. It's an investment for the next five, 10 years of your company. So when you actually crack the ROI numbers, it's just ridiculous. So yeah, from a brand, you know, then we were really big on branding. So bunch, I'm a huge believer in TV advertising. I don't think anything moves the needle as much as SEO and TV. Um, SEO is actually a phenomenal branding opportunity. You get hundreds of millions of impressions, and you also get that impression of being the number one search ranking, which people actually trust and think about a ton. So yeah, our, our program there was TV, SEO, that's going to drive all the new customers. That's going to get our brand out there. Display is actually a way undervalued channel because everybody values it in terms of the direct response channel, and it just doesn't yeah. work that way. So display is super important. And then all the things that matter for CRM. So a loyalty program, a credit card, stuff that you can monetize, an advertising program around the site. And those were all the measures that we figured out after, you know, I've managed analytics as well. And we've had, I don't know, 40, 50 analysts working around the clock to try to figure out, you know, the actual truth of like what's driving success. And we would ratchet down stuff like paid search and um, uh, affiliate spend and nothing would change. Like the users would still find Overstock. If they want to buy something from Overstock, they'd still go to Overstock. They just aren't going through an affiliate site now, or they're not going through a paid search link. So yeah, it's kind of scary when you think about how much money is being spent and also how much time is being spent on paid media. And then you've got this SEO thing that's so important and everybody's just sort of ignoring it. And there's a, there's a reason for that because it is so technical. It's not what a marketer is used to working on. Yeah. But if you do if you do invest and you do it right, I mean, you can grow a brand like an overstock. I mean, it, 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 it's tremendous what it can actually do. How, what's the realistic time frame for you know someone coming on and and let's say that they've got on a you know a score of zero to ten ten being their lights out perfect SEO client you know they're doing everything right to a one you know somebody who's paid you know because I think most of our listeners spend way too much money on paid acquisition channels and rely on it. Um, I have, have consulted and helped several of our clients who've gotten banned from Facebook. They've gotten ad accounts shut down. Um, you're, you're reading my mail when it comes to man. I we wish we had SEO going right now because at least, you know, <laughs> there'd be some sales coming through. But, you know, some of these companies are so over leveraged in one traffic channel. They're not getting that residual. So what would be some of the timeframes of this? Like, you know, people who are very, very like... Uh, passive on SEO, if they were to put money into it, really uh, start to build that up as a channel for, 
some returns for rankings, because I think this is also a big misconception and a big reason why a lot of people don't choose SEO. But I'd love to hear your response before I give you why. Uh, I'd just like to hear your, your response first. So six months is usually like a minimum. So you'll start to see the needle move pretty significantly in six months if you're doing the right things. If you go down the path of working with an agency or whatever, sometimes it just never even moves, <laughs> which is yeah. sad. But as we say to new customers, six months, give it six months and you'll start to see stuff really go heading in the right direction. If you give it a year, you're going to see, you know, double that. That's the thing about SEO. It's, it's pretty linear. It doesn't, it doesn't just, you know, jump. Um, it takes time and, and, and investment over time and you're never really like done with it. Right. I mean, good SEO companies will have 30, 40, 50 people working on SEO for like 10 years. <clears throat> and that's how they get so good at what they do. Um, but you know, six months is a good time frame to be like, is this, is this something that we like, is this working or not? You should have an idea after six months if, if your plan of attack is working or not working. And that's the other thing, right? There's just so many bad ways to go about it and bad sort of external things telling you what to do that you could waste a lot of money and a lot of time. Um, but if you do it correctly, you know, yeah, you should see movement in six months. No problem. Yeah. And that, that's what I wanted. I was, I was thinking you're going to give a, a timeline timeline around that, uh, like six months or so, because I think that's a big misconception too. You know, you get agencies out there and say, Oh, I can, I'll get you results here in the next 30 days after you start with <laughs> us. And it's, I mean, a red flag, like that's just not how SEO works at all. Uh, yeah. I also really like, so it's, it's really just about setting the proper, I think that's what's also hard for your kind of small mid companies, right? I can go and spend a million dollars in a month on ads. I'm going to make all of it back that that month, you know, maybe early next month in paid acquisition. You go and you spend that money in SEO. Um, it's more like a, an investment where it's going to pay off, you know, a little bit over time. But if you keep investing in it month over month over month, the return on that, the ROI becomes way greater than the inv original investment was. And it doesn't stop. I mean, uh, barring you're still practicing best SEO practices. If you just like abandon ship and not <laughs> invest anymore in the channel, it's going to go and turn the other way. But you know, that was what I wanted everyone to hear is a realistic time frame on when somebody could see some type of results that you know are coming through. Um, it's really interesting that you spent so much time and energy as an e-pram. You know, um, I know a lot of like uh, we're most with the guys over at Investopedia. You know, they got bought by DotDash. DotDash's CEO's principles are all based off of SEO. I mean, he is like tried and true. Like that's that's all their traffic that they really want to focus on. And and um, so for and I get it, right? Companies like Investopedia, where it's all information centric, you're looking for very specific topics. You want to make you know in, you know read about that. Um, if you're an e-commerce brand and you've got some funding and you're about to go and you know launch, what would be some of the SEO tactics you would immediately you know, start to, to, to use, like, you know, if you could do overstock all over again, what were some of the things you wouldn't have done and some of the things you would be doing? Uh, yeah. So the first thing is always keyword research, which is lame to say, but good keyword research and understanding what people are searching for that's relevant to your business is so important. And not only is it important, but it actually can change your business. So I'll give you an example with Overstock. When I got there, we were like electronics, jewelry and watches, you know, the type of stuff where 
bada boom, bada bang, pull up the truck and cut the guy a check. And he gives you a bunch of flat screen TVs. Like that was overstock. It was a total, you know, hustle buyers, you know, got a bunch of watches. God knows where they came from. Let's, you know, uh, <laughs> just cut them a check and get them. But as we got smarter, we had SEO analysts that saw the opportunity in the home and garden category. So you got to think like 2007, furniture, bedding, all those brands that were participating in that space were big box retailers. There were your Bed Bath & Beyonds, your JCPenney's, your Target's. And they really at the time didn't have much of an online strategy. <laughs> and that's all we were. So we were like, boy, there's a ton of people searching for this stuff and there's no one doing it right. And now if you think of Overstock and honestly, over 100% of their profits and, and all this stuff is, is from Home and Garden. They're known as a Home and Garden company. They're known as furniture, good bedding at a cheap price, yep. patio furniture, like all those things, mattresses, all those things. That, that transition of Overstock from electronics, and jewelry and watches to a Home and Garden company was based on nothing other than good keyword research. Like we figured out that we could take advantage of this huge opportunity way better margins. All these companies were basically ripping off the American public by charging just through the roof for furniture and stuff. So we just moved into these categories and they just took off. So that's kind of an extreme example on how important, you know, here's a probably a billion dollars worth of revenue generated out of thin air based on keyword research. And everybody that's shopped at Overstock probably has a piece of furniture or bedding in their house. So, and that was all done by SEO you know, and good keyword research. Because after a while, whenever you'd search for anything bedding or anything furniture, what would you see? Overstock, overstock, overstock all the time. And you do that hundreds of millions of times a month, people start to think of you as a furniture company and a home and garden company. So that's one kind of extreme scenario. Here's another one. We used to, we saw this uh, keyword called black end tables, really random keyword, right? We didn't have any black end tables. So we told our partners, start painting some of your end tables black. And we created a category. It was like a $5 million category overnight just by finding people are searching for it. So you can learn a ton about your business and you can actually change your business based on keyword research and based on, it's so much easier to take demand that's out there already and then just provide a product that suits that demand versus inventing a product and trying to stuff it down people's throats. That doesn't work as well. So Call things what they're supposed to be called. Call things what people search for. And time in doing keyword research can change a business super fast. So once that's done, then it's about architecting the site. What does the navigation look like? What are your drop downs? I mean, I could go forever on that, but that's my first. And to speak to the e-com community, if you're not doing SEO, I mean, good luck. It's just impossible. It's so competitive. Uh, every great e-commerce brand, almost every great e-commerce brand has been built on SEO. Like that's how they got there. So your Zappos is your Wayfarers, your Amazon, eBay are the two best, arguably the two best e-commerce sites in the world when it comes to SEO. The, you know, they just kill it. I mean, Amazon, you could really argue that Amazon was built on SEO. Yeah, I, I would say that. And in fact, I, I do often bring that up when we're talking with e-commerce brands. Um, and I tell them all the time, I'm like, you're not, you're, because again, just just paid acquisition strategies versus SEO strategies. And they get a lot of people get those things confused because they see the ads and they see the retargeting ads and they see all this other stuff, but they don't understand really 
where that the difference between a buyer and somebody who's just looking, someone who's like sort of interested or whatever. Um, and it's like, you're trying to compete with paid ads um, in a screaming match versus, yeah. you know, cause you're just like, who can be louder? Who can be more interesting and dynamic? And by, by all means, this is the core of a lot of what we do is we specialize in the paid acquisition side. So I'm the, I'll be the last person to ever put that down. But to your point about search-based traffic, that is, I mean, like the last time anybody's made a really big purchase, it's search, right? You start to, what is the best and then fill in the blank? What is, you know, uh, reviews for, and you just start to go down the rabbit hole because that's, you're, you're in that intent part of the funnel, right? So you're like, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm in the consideration phase of looking at uh, what someone has to provide. But a question for you, you know, um, A, were you really closely involved? You probably were since you're the senior vice president on the paid acquisition, cost per acquisition numbers and search. And at, you know, in most e-commerce brands uh, or you can give examples with Overstock, but like what were the differences between the, the cost per acquisitions between search and paid? That you yeah, saw? listen, I'm not a against paid marketing. God, we spent over $100 million a year. I controlled a $100 million marketing budget. So you're spending a lot of money still. It's just that SEO worked way better. <laughs> um, we had, so what was interesting about my situation there was I started in marketing. I ended up running marketing. We group, we created this analytics group. The analytics group, like was the first ones to write pricing algorithms for Overstock. First one to write uh, forecasting, like product forecasting algorithms and making sure things don't go out of stock. And we did so well there that I ended up actually then managing all of buying too. So basically all the revenue facing fronts of Overstock fell under one guy, which made it really easy for me to sort of see what truth worked and I think that's why Patrick set it up that way. There wasn't anybody like vying for budget to, you know, if I took budget out of the paid and put it into SEO, like no one had to answer for that other than me. Yeah. So it was really easy for me to do. Um, and it was much easier to be surrounded by all these smart analysts to actually know the truth on like what was working, and what wasn't. And so I wasn't like competing with myself over marketing budget dollars. I like knew exactly what I wanted to do. And so we did it. So paid, paid still works, right? Like the way that I viewed paid is twofold. One is branding, which is measured by how many people search your brand for your brand name every single month. And that is such an important metric that no one tracks. So how many people search for you a month? Both how many come through on SEO? How many come through paid? Because a lot of people bid on their paid, their brand terms. And then how many people actually just type your name directly in the URL and just go directly to you? Add those three things up and watch that number over time. That's how we would measure branding was how, how relevant are we, right? How many people are searching for us a month? So that was a really like easy you know, tip for your audience that was yeah, like, that works. And so whether you're doing TV or you're doing radio or you're doing print ads or you're doing um, display advertising or you know, whatever it is, that'll give you a sense of how effective your branding is. All the direct response paid channels like paid search, um, affiliates. Now it's like social. Um, social does bleed into branding, though. Uh, those were like a math equation, basically. We would 
if you can spend a money, if you can spend a dollar and they're going to give you a dollar 10 back, right? You just do that over and over again. So we basically would just, we didn't have a budget that we could either get through or not get through, which I know is a kind of a weird way to think about it. We would like walk up to the ATM machine, put in a dollar and see how much we got back and that dictated how much we spent. So our entire like direct response, if you will, like that was all done based on like basically a math equation. Um, so it was almost a set it and forget it, which is the opposite of what most companies do. Most companies will obsess over their paid, uh, their paid channels, right? They'll spend all their time on them. We were the opposite. I was like, let's automate that and just not even have to think about it anymore. Mm. And now we can focus on branding, SEO, email marketing, loyalty program, the credit card, all the stuff that actually made us money. Now our headspace was freed up. Like we'd have a little team. I think we had like three people working on PPC. We had like 40 though working on SEO. So that'll show like not a lot of marketing leaders can do that shift, but I was lucky enough and probably naive enough that I could just do it. And no one would really, as long as things kept growing, no one would really second guess what, what, what we were doing. So kind of a unique situation, but was lucky to learn a ton about how, how it actually works and what, you know, in reality is, is the true drivers of growth. And so, so if you can sort of, get your paid to work as a math equation and just ignore it. It's going to do what it's going to do right right now. It probably be doing like really, if they still have it at overstock, it's probably doing really well right now. And they're probably spending a bunch because everything's dropped in price and it's a math equation. So it just would do what it does, but we wouldn't even worry about that. You know, it's just like, let's get it set up, forget about it. And then let's work on all this other stuff. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, it makes a lot of sense, actually, too. Was that always the case? Like, you know, when at the very beginning when Overstock was growing, um, is that like how you were always, you know, thinking about it? Or did you, you know, take time in the beginning to get the paid kind of figured out what is the math for and then set it and forget it? I mean, just tell you how simple. So a lot of it, kind of, that thinking was definitely already in place when I got there. So Patrick, the founder and CEO, I remember him telling a story of like the first time that he could he realized that you could attach these tracking links to, to paid links and track every revenue dollar that came in through a display, at, you know, whatever it was, you know, you used to buy like an image on the Yahoo homepage. It was like a big thing, you know, you'd spend like hundred grand. So it was like way simpler times, but he had that mentality. And then I took it to an extreme. So he was like, you're, you have a lot of smart people that work for you take this basic like mentality of we want this to be a math equation, but take it so that you can explain it to me and I'll be like, yeah, that's the best way to do it. And then we would just revise that, you know, as frequently as we could. So by the time I left, I mean, it was massively complex and massively efficient, especially when it came to like how to price products how to do forecasting, how to do paid search bids. I mean, that all got pretty, pretty uh, in depth. The rest of it though, like the SEO is like a totally different science. It's, it's a totally different thing. It's very technical. It's about, pay, you know, it's about those things that I mentioned earlier. So they were just totally different problems. And I was fortunate to have a huge amount of dev resources at my disposal at any wow. given time. So almost any sort of like, dev project and 
my one of my closest friends, he ran engineering and we just kind of got to go hog wild and build the perfect site for SEO and build the loyalty programs and all the stuff that that kind of grew, you know, what Overstock is today. I don't know how much of it's still there, but yeah, it was fun. You know, that's a pretty cool experience to be able to have. Yeah, I mean, really. that kind of that kind of resources as a young professional is kind of crazy. I think it also is a massive value for everybody who's a customer of Huckabay. I mean, you literally got to put into practice everything you're preaching at Huckabay and see it in real time. And you've got the most amazing case study because my wife, you know, you know I was telling her who I was interviewing today and she's like, what? Like, she's so excited because... <laughs> go around our house and see a bunch of stuff from Overstock. And so um, absolutely it worked. Everyone listening right now is listening because they're like excited to hear from you and like, wow, this is so cool. How did he do it? And so you're putting all that information and uh, data and insight and things that you learned, all the bad stuff too, and you're putting it right into Huckabye. And like you basically have created a platform that people can take their websites and make a overstock.com version of it. Um, And one of the coolest things as I was like getting to know um, more about you guys is this like use case or this like a dynamic pages, you know, functionality. I'd love for people, because I think a lot of people probably don't understand it. So I'd love for them to like kind of touch base on a few of the things that Huckabye can do. And again, guys, this is all the stuff that Jeff learned from, you know, his years at growing a massive online e-commerce brand using SEO. So um, go ahead and and jump right in. Yeah. I think, so this, the concept is dynamic rendering is, is this concept. And probably 90% of your audience has never heard of dynamic rendering. And I don't blame them either. Um, but in my mind, it was sort of the biggest change Google's made in 10 years. So basically what it means is, uh, it's pretty straightforward. It basically means that websites load dynamically based on what calls them. So if I have a mobile device and I go to your homepage, I'll get one experience. If I go on my desktop, I'll get a little different one. The big change was they said, well, now you can actually give a version just for us. And that was a huge change because Google has talked for years about how it's got to be the same thing that the user experiences, blah, blah, blah. The issue was JavaScript. So as JavaScript has taken off across the internet, their job to crawl JavaScript is very difficult. So it takes like 10 times the resources to crawl JavaScript. They basically what they do, they hit it, say there's a chat box, they hit it, they say, we don't understand this. We kick it, they kick it to what they call a rendering queue. And a rendering queue is basically like your Chrome browser. It's just it's the same technology. It actually just loads it and then they can go in and crawl, but it takes a lot more money and time and resources. So they're like, this is getting ridiculous because almost every page on the internet now has JavaScript on it. And so their their rendering costs, I think, just kind of got out of control. And so they said, Well, now you can actually do this separate version just for us. So basically they're saying, just give us a version without JavaScript. And that's what opened the door for Huckabye to do our SEO cloud. And SEO cloud is a dynamically rendered, call it like perfect version of a website just for Google. So we take the site, we convert it into flat HTML. So it's super simple. We add structured data, which is the language that they prefer to talk to at the top of the page. And then we have a partnership with Cloudflare, who's like the world's fastest CDN network, content delivery network. So your pages are not only now full HTML, perfect structured data, they also load like instantly. So when Google comes, they can download basically the entire site like right away. And it was kind of a crazy, crazy concept, but they love it. <laughs> so that's wow. that's dynamic rendering. 
That's amazing. And so that's just part of the stack, right? That you guys are offering from like a, a holistic solution. So you've got dynamic mm-hmm. revenue. What else do you guys got? And like, what other things, tools, tricks, uh, numbers that you're able to pull using your stack? So our stack is right now focused on SEO. So the automation of world-class structured data, which has become an enormous part of the algorithm. Structured data is what powers when you search, what they call rich enhancement. So when you search for like the weather and it just shows up, or a sports score, it just shows up, or you type in, a, you know, ask for a recipe and the recipe just shows up. That's all powered by this language. And if you've noticed their algorithm and what their results you're getting, almost every single query is going to have some sort of enhancement now. And that's all powered by structured data. Voice search is also completely powered by structured data. So we take a site from wherever they are on that, you know, that usually they're like zero structured data. We'll take them to world-class structured data. That was our first product. Then we built SEO Cloud. And now we're building a PageSpeed product. And PageSpeed is a really tough problem. Every website has a problem with it, like everyone. And so that's where we're like, we figured out how to sort of fix PageSpeed. And it's related to our SEO cloud product, but it'll actually give you lightning fast PageSpeed, not just for bots, but for users as well, which really cranks up your conversion rates, lowers bounce rates. I mean, it does all sorts of stuff. So that's a really that's that product's coming out in the next three months. Current customers are getting a, a taste of it now, and it's really impressive. So that's part of what we do. Like when you think about your tech stack and how Huckabye can help, it's pretty agnostic. So whether you use HubSpot or WordPress or Shopify, like we can optimize your interaction with Google. And then in three months, we'll actually optimize your interaction with humans as well in terms of a page speed and delivery um, of that content. So that's really what Huckabye is working on. Yeah, that was going to be my next question, which is like, all right, are there any restrictions? Because I have clients that are on, uh, yeah, like you mentioned HubSpot. They use that for all their blog content. They got other guys on Shopify. WordPress is probably the most popular of them all. That was going to be my next question. Does that matter to any of those interfaces matter? But it sounds like it doesn't because you guys aren't, you guys are creating that separate instance for Google to, you know, turn, converting things into a fly HTML. Uh, so that's great. It's great to hear that anybody pretty much can, can convert their existing websites uh, into in your platform and you guys can help them. Yep. Yeah. We're pretty much agnostic. There's a couple weird scenarios where we're like, yeah, that doesn't work for us, but nine times out of 10, yeah, you're good to go. Yeah, that's great. I I was mentioning to you again on a pre-call that I automatically have a few people that I, I can't wait to introduce <laughs> to you guys because they're they're they they're in these really hyper you know uh, niches where um, if any competitive advantage they can get, they're going to take. And SEO yep. is one of those, and it's a huge value proposition for people. I think that um, you know you're also one of the very first people I think that did such a great job correlating brand and search together. Um, oftentimes you get marketers nowadays, you, you have so many silos, you've got brand people, you've got paid, you know, direct response, kind of direct to consumer people, you've got search people and they're just, they, they're in there, they got tunnel vision and they're not actually looking at things in a holistic manner about what that can do and what it really means. And I love that you put a quantifiable, black and white to a brand because so many times people are like branding is experience branding's this branding's that and your your you know way of approach to it is great because it is it's like what is the sum total of the people who are interested in what you're doing and there's a way to measure that and there's also a way to increase that and the more you can get people talking thinking uh, of you 
then the more likelihood that they're going to do and interact with you and interactions turn into conversations, conversations turn into sales. And it's that simple. It's like, that's yeah. what you've been able to build. So I love that. Yeah. I always say there's two metrics that nobody tracks, but they always predict how successful a company is doing. Um, one is the one I mentioned earlier, how many people are searching for your brand and just typing your brand in. And the second is domain authority. Um, domain authority is an SEO metric. That means basically how many inbound links and how important are those inbound links pointing to your site. If you look at a company and both of those metrics are going up, that company is doing great. So their domain authority is going up, people are linking to them, and people are searching more and more each month for them. That company is doing great. If they're flat or one of them's flat, you get a little nervous. You're like, okay, well, maybe it's a long-term play. You know, they're just not growing. They're just like kind of, they predict growth and sort of like revenue growth in particular. And then if they're going down, um, you get really worried because they're for some reason not resonating with consumers. Their traffic's definitely dying off. Um, and that's, you know, super concerning. So if you look at those two metrics and we do that at Hugabye, we actually will measure all of our customers and we can tell who's doing really well and who's having a hard time. Um, and we try to influence, obviously, especially yeah. the number of brand searches. But um, yeah, those are two things that that almost always correlate to how how successful a company's doing. And they're kind of random, right? You probably don't have them like on the top of your head and your you know whatever your exec dashboard or whatever. But those are the two. Those are the two that almost always predict how well someone's doing. Yeah, that's fascinating. I'm definitely going to be adding that to my uh, weekly agenda items to discuss with my team. Um, a few more questions for you, just because like I'm loving this conversation. Um, one is just kind of random, but I thought about it as you were talking. You know, you're a young guy, and you were put into an amazing you know position at a young age. You know, what kind of culture did you create? You know, on your team as a marketer, um, and to get the maximum performance. I think a lot of people listening either are on a team or running a team. Um, you know, what what were some of the things that you did to inspire and get everybody to to, to perform at their best? Yeah, that's a great question. It's probably a little bit different now. I wouldn't say I'm so young now. I'm 38 now. So, but when I was young, um, yeah, you know, I charged really hard, as you would probably imagine. I think one of the things I did was vocalizing ideas, especially big ideas. So, like when you think about the sort of stuff that we're talking about here today. There was like so many employees that had to learn that change in mindset from, and we actually didn't even hire marketers. Like we hated hiring marketers because they would come in and have all these ideas and be like, no, we don't do anything like that here. <laughs> and so we loved to hire like statisticians like right out of college. But to be able to get people all on the same page when it comes to a project as complicated and as difficult as SEO optimization at a huge brand like Overstock, I think one thing, and that comes from, you know, the, the sports background, I really think like you have to be motivated. Everybody has to see the bigger picture and they have to know why they're doing what they're doing every day and how it could possibly change the, the growth and of the whole company. And it was a, it was a total meritocracy too. So didn't matter your education level didn't matter where, you know, my, I was the perfect example. I mean, I started there at 22 years old, making 35 grand a year. And 
left, you know, at a much different number. So it was a meritocracy and people were rewarded based on performance, which in Utah, for some reason, was very refreshing. Utah is a bit of a conservative state. Um, white males seem to kind of get ahead. And we disrupted all of that. We were like friendly across the board. We would promote whoever was successful. And that really kind of stoked the culture because you'd have these these males that were like kind of expecting a promotion and they wouldn't get it. And that would really like fuel the whole company didn't realize everyone was on the same footing. If you move the needle, you know, I always say like, I never asked for a raise, never asked for promotion in my life. And I want my team to think the same way. I want them to be like, God, they're doing so great. We have to give them a promotion. We have to give them a raise or else Amazon's going to grab them like tomorrow. So that was sort of the culture was it was a real meritocracy. People got the bigger picture of where we were going, what we're trying to do. And I think felt pretty inspired. Like we still stay in touch because that's such a rare thing to go through with a bunch of people. And we're all pretty young and we all got together here in Park City this past winter before this coronavirus hit. And it was so cool. Like we all remembered it really positively. And I didn't really expect that when I, when I saw, you know, to see them again, I figured like some people are going to be really pissed or whatever. Everybody looked back and maybe it's because we've all been gone for at least five years. Everybody looked back on it really positively. And um, I got to give a lot of credit to, I mean, Patrick set the tone and you just, you know, a leader like that is, is amazing. And we all just sort of like fell into line and, and he found people, I mean, who, who, what CEO promotes like a 25 year old, I guess it's more common now, but, I mean, it was just rare. It was a rare culture. And to find it of all places in Salt Lake City, Utah is also even more rare. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a, and I'm a huge culture guy. It's part of branding. It's part of everything. Um, I know people don't, I, I always got sort of thought of it as this like very direct response marketer, but like branding was a huge part of what we did and, and cultures that plays a really big role in that. Yeah, no doubt. It had to. That's why I wanted to make sure we touched on it because there's just no way that, you know, uh, you can't grow. And I'm, I'm experiencing this firsthand. You can't ever grow anything when you've got a culture that's divided. You know, if you, you can get, I shouldn't say that you can grow, but it won't last. You'll, you'll see um, it just sparkle and then, you know, never turn into a real flame. And, yep. you know, and you see that time and time again, the, the things that go from a spark to a flame to a raging fire are, it's the, it's a core team of people that it's like this infection that kind of like spreads through to other people and it inspires them to step up and do more. Um, I always ask this on, you know, on my show and I have to pat myself on the back. I'm a, and everyone who really knows me knows I'm a, I'm an avid skier and I, you guys got to give me credit here. I went this entire interview without getting into skiing questions because we were talking, we made it, we did a really great, especially you. (laughs) I mean, that's pretty impressive for us to go an hour without talking about golf or skiing. You're teasing me with your clubs behind you too. I was like, no, he's got his clubs there. I was like, oh, this is that on purpose. (laughs) <laughs> I am a, I'm a, I'm a, a massive, massive fan of anybody that, um, who can excel, right. And anything that they, you know, dedicate their time and effort into. And you've done that multiple times in your life, man, from, from being a professional athlete into getting on the U S ski team, uh, 
God knows that I wish I would have done that. <laughs> that that would have been in my patch just because of how much I love it to um, being a rising star and one of the fastest growing companies in America. And not only that, uh, being a part of a culture and then to do it again and start your own company and be the founder of such a phenomenal company and a phenomenal organization. What do you do to keep yourself inspired? Um, how do you stay inspired? What are some of the things that you can, you can give somebody else if they're in their boat, like to stay, you know, stay on fire for what you're doing? Well, first off, Jeremy, you're not doing too bad yourself. Um, you have a heck of a resume and a great story. And I'm sure everybody that's here is here to listen to you more than to listen to me. Um, I'd say, honestly, um, it's people like yourself that you get to meet and, um, hopefully kind of change the way they think about things. Maybe, um, there's so many, I'm, I'm just really inspired, inspired by like smart people that are doing cool things, you know, whether it's entrepreneurs or it's athletes, we're in a really unique bubble here in park city in that, um, it's mainly a tourist town, but there's a lot of people that love living here. And then they're very interesting people. They always have a story. They've probably been a success somewhere else and then bought a house here, moved their family here. So. I try to surround myself with people that inspire me, to be honest. That's, that's kind of what I'm going for. And um, I love doing podcasts. I love to meet guys like you. And uh, I'd say you, most of the time, though, I'm very competitive because of a athletic background just breeds you to be competitive. And yeah. I, I have always sort of like envisioned what where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. And I, this was a part of that journey was like I wanted to build my own business and and hopefully have it be successful. I don't know if there will ever be an overstock, but um, you know, I'm pretty driven. And then I'm, I see a lot of people uh, that are way more successful than me and they just inspire the crap out of me. So um, yeah, guys like you, man, I think uh, you're an inspiration. So we'll, it, that's, that's the kind of people that I, that I like to, to be around or people that are getting after it. Yeah, me too, man. And, and, and that's very nice of you to say, uh, I promise you guys, I didn't pay him to say it, but, uh, no, nevertheless, really nice. So sure. A lot of people are going to want to, um, check out your website, which is huckabye.com. How can people get in touch with you? Um, if any brands got questions, they want to follow up, they want to have you on their show. What's a great way to get get in touch with you, Jeff? So best way is to come to our site, fill out a contact us form. And if you mention this podcast, um, we just make sure that we, you know, really take care of them. One, they get a discount if they ever buy the product, but two, it's just like your audience is legit and we want to have those conversations. So we'll make sure to, to really take care of anybody that, that gives us a contact us form and says, you know, secrets of marketing. That's our, um, secrets of marketers. That's our, that's how we came upon you. So. Perfect. You guys, you guys hear it. So go to huckabye.com, uh, reference secrets of marketers in the contact form. And of course you can reach out to me at Jeremy Blossom on Instagram at secrets, secrets of marketers as well. And Jeff, you are a champ. Uh, you are an amazing person through and through. I'm so glad we got to meet. Thanks for your time today. And I'm sure we'll be having you back on the show, uh, to hear an update on how Huckabye is doing, man. Thank you so much. That'd be great. Yeah. Next time we'll talk more golf and skiing. <laughs> Got it, dude. No problem. Thanks, man. Thank you. There you go. That concludes another episode of the Secrets of Marketers podcast. 
Thank you guys so much for listening. If you're looking for even more content, more ideas, more things that you can do today to help grow your business, then head on over to my Instagram page at Secrets of Marketers. I've got a bunch of content on there and we are giving you guys access to all the behind the scenes stuff that go into making these episodes happen, as well as even more content that you can start to apply to your business today. And if you guys like this show, then help me spread the word. Go to the podcast page on iTunes and leave me a review. It's how I can rank well and how other people can find me. So go for it. Thanks for making my dreams come true. Now go make yours come true. Thanks again.